Shalom Aleichem, and welcome to the Shmooz, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. My name is Zeke Levine, fellow at the Yiddish Book Center and producer of the Shmooz, sitting in for Lisa Newman. Today we're recording in the midst of Yidstock, the festival of new Jewish music, which began Thursday and will run until Sunday. The festival features performances and lectures from some of the biggest figures in the Yiddish cultural world. I'll be speaking with three performers, Steve Weintraub, Hankus Netsky, and David Krakauer, to ask them a few questions about music and learn more about their lives and careers. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Steve Weintraub, who Hi. is a, a dance master who is lighting up the floors here at Yidstock. <laughs> and um, I feel like a lot of our listeners probably know Steve from various workshops and maybe even from past Yidstocks. Um, so I wanted to ask him about something a little bit different. Sure, please. And that would be the sort of Philadelphia klezmer Jewish Jewish dance arts scene, um, which is very vibrant. And I know um, you're well, a big it's part growing of it. right now because more of us are moving into the area, and uh, there is seems to be a movement going on in a couple of places uh, for local community-based um, music and dance. Uh, klezmer and Yiddish culture that's leaving like the big cities, you know, like New York, it, it used to be, it was only in New York that you could have a uh, klezmer. Now we have quite a few very excellent musicians. Um, my friend Dan Blacksburg, uh, who is a wonderful uh, klezmer trombonist and teacher and band leader has organized a community band and we've had several dance parties there. Um, I was finally able to offer a dance series at the the Gershman Y, which, with my luck, closed. I was the last thing that that they had, the last activity that they had before they closed their doors for the most part. Uh, but also in in um, Washington D.C., my friend Howard Ungar has started his own klezmer community band. And we recently did a very big dance party. It was very well attended, about 25 musicians. Um, you know, and, and the nice thing about a, a community band, when there's a lot of folks, it absorbs many styles, you know, many, uh, many capabilities, and they sound really good. They, people are dedicated. They come in, and it creates a heck of a dance party. And are you originally from Philadelphia? No, not at all. Um, I'm originally from New York City and then moved to Atlanta. And Atlanta is kind of where I got my um, – um, I, I was involved in Jewish dance in New York. But in Atlanta, I was working, uh, leading dance at, at parties. And Henry Sapoznik, who uh, started Klez Camp, saw me at a wedding. Uh, he and Pete Sokolow. Uh, and they said, you know uh, – He's pretty good with people on a dance floor. Let's bring him to Klez Camp. And that totally changed my entire trajectory. And what little I knew about Yiddish dance from my own family and from researching it, uh, it talking about history of dance, uh, of Jewish dance, um, I then really delved into it and, and figured if I'm going to be the maven, I better be a maven. And so you know, I looked at old film. I talked to people. I've read about it. So that's kind of where my theory of Yiddish dance comes from. When you're at one of these events, mm -hmm. do you work with the musicians ahead of time, or do you just kind of know the the types of music that they'll be playing, and you know what kind of dances? I usually those? check in with the musicians to make sure that they can play what I need. Um, and one of the things that I do, like even with these community bands, I'll do a workshop where I'm helping them find the, the dance groove. 
So a lot of these are dance rhythms. And if you play them the way they're, they're written on the page, it's going to be flat. It's not going to feel like dancing. Uh, um, and we've developed, uh, you know, uh, ways of indicating to the musicians how to, to find that lift, that, that groove, that push, whatever. And uh, that's been very helpful. Yeah, so, so working with the musicians, and, and there, are a lot, there are a lot of people I know from workshops, like Lauren, who I invited to, to be my accompanist. We've worked together. She used to be my accompanist for dance classes at Klez Camp. And uh, w- working with people and making sure they have the repertoire. I've been collecting sheet music from people I work with, and so I'll, I'll share that around to make sure that they have tunes that'll work both for teaching purposes and also that these are, you know, this is a, a, a good uh, party sequence. Because uh, playing for a concert and playing for dance are very different. You have to string tunes together. There's got to be kind of a, a a different kind of flow. You know, I like to start a dance party easily that's in an inviting way and then build up the heat, build up the, the excitement. That's that's great, and having been to some of uh, some of these dance parties, I can I can say for a fact that you definitely do that, oh, and uh, I know that you're doing that here at Yidstock. So I guess I'll ask what's what are some of the things you're looking forward to the most? Some of the talks and concerts that you might be looking forward to. Oh well, you, it, it's always wonderful the the scene, uh, you know, the, the the Yiddish scene, which is international. Um, there's a lot of people spread out all over the place, and uh, we really only get to see each other um, at these festivals all together, and it's like really like being with family. Um, which, curiously enough, Jewish dance is related to the fact that that marriages often happened outside of the community. So the the music and the dance was a way of bringing people together who didn't always see each other or who I've hadn't yet met. And I'm finding that this happens even in the scene, but like a. Uh, uh, Anthony Russell is, is, a, is an old buddy of mine, and uh, Sarah I've met, so I'm curious to see their project. Heather Klein I know from California and from these various festivals. David Krakauer and I've worked together. We were going, and, and every time we see each other, it's like, where did I see you last? Was it was it Krakow? Was it Weimar? Was um, so it's really exciting to see what people are up to um with their new projects and it's stimulating but like when we come together it's kind of like gee I really that's an idea maybe we can do something so these these festivals not only are pleasing to the audience but they stimulate the artists right they give us something to work towards and give us the impetus and the 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 you know the the for, they ferment right new ideas well, that is amazing, and I'm and I'm glad that the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst can be yeah. am, among that list of Weimar and Krakow. Oh, yeah, this is places. one of the things we yeah. want to we want to be we want to be at. Yes, <laughs> great. Well, Steve, thanks so much for sitting down with me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Very yeah. nice interview. Thanks. I'm sitting here with Hankus Netsky, um, who just this morning gave um, a talk. Do you want to tell our listeners what your what your talk and presentation was about this morning? This morning it was about the period at the late 19th century when the nationalist movement was starting to uh, have an effect in many different nationalities. And one of the things they were trying to do was take their so-called authentic folk music and turn it into concert music so that it would be something that 
preserved the folklore that many cultures felt was disappearing and at the same time made an artistic presentation out of it that was different from the folklore itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in particular, we were looking at the St. Petersburg School and then eventually comparing it to the current resurgence of Yiddish culture as a concert medium. Earlier, you were telling me about the record collection that sits on the backdrop on this bookshelf behind us in the recording studio. Um, you said it belonged to your, your grandfather? My your, great-grandfather. Your great-grandfather's record collection. So tell us a little bit about some of these records. Well, when I was young, I didn't know much about Yiddish music or Jewish music at all. Uh, but I was curious about it because my grandfather died when I was four, and one of the things that kept happening was his stuff kept appearing in my closet. Um, and at first, that was Yiddish sheet music, and I had no idea what to make of it, but it just was there. And then when I got a little older, I really started wondering because there were photographs, and it was photographs of a band. And I figured out it was probably a Jewish wedding band, but it was from the 1920s, and what did they play? And I want to know what they played. And unfortunately, as I said, he died when I was four. My uncle, I had another uncle who died when I was 12 who had been in the wedding business, and then another uncle who was very bitter about it because, in fact, his marriage had broken up because he was out every Friday and Saturday night playing and Sunday afternoon. So so he didn't want to talk about it much. And so um, I didn't really know much about it. And then I got to be about 18, 19, and I started playing, I was playing gospel and Greek music and all these things. And I really, uh, I, so I asked that uncle who did not want to talk about it much about who I could talk to. And he told me to talk to my Uncle Sam, who was in a lot of these photographs, and he was still around. He was a relative who no one in my family talked to much. They had a disagreement with my grandfather of some sort, so he wasn't at family events. He wasn't somebody I was meeting very much. It's a great uncle, brother of my grandfather. I went over to his house, and I was surprised to find that on the second floor of his house, there was my great-grandfather's entire record collection. Uh, all there, not even put away, but really out in bookshelves, just 78s, as if this guy somehow would go upstairs and listen to the 78s. Um, and I couldn't believe it, but there it was. And so I started bringing over recording devices and making copies of these recordings. Um, For me, it was very pivotal because I was looking for some sort of Jewish music that was meaningful and deep and that I felt something from. I had grown up with cantors who were very inspiring, but they didn't make records. But sometimes in shul, I felt like there was some little hint of something, but I wasn't a cantor. I didn't have a great voice. Um, and I never had heard any meaningful Jewish dance music of much interest to me. So he started putting on these recordings. And at first he was playing me Mickey Katz. I remember he was trying to show me the funny ones. And I didn't get the jokes in Yiddish. And I, I didn't think they were that funny. Although eventually someone in my band, Don Byron, who's now a very famous clarinet player, convinced me the Mickey Katz ones were the funniest. But um, then he got to Naftali Brandwine, uh, and he played me the first Naftali Brandwine record I heard. Immediately, I knew that was what I'd been looking for. And so he saw I liked Naftali Brandwine, so he played me more Naftali Brandwine, great clarinetist from Galicia. 
So he pointed me Dave Terrace, and I said, okay, keep it coming. <laughs> and then he pointed me the Barry Sisters with Dave Terrace. And then he pointed me Seymour Rexite with Dave Terrace. And then he pointed me Abe Schwartz. And then he pointed me records that had made in Philadelphia with uh, Itzikl Kronfeis, who he had actually played with. And it just got deeper and deeper. I couldn't believe it. You know, he had recordings of exactly what I'd been looking for. And... Um, he died in around 1986. Luckily, in fact, um, I mean, he was around to see my band start. He was around to see. He said to me that day, I remember he said, you could do something with this. You know, you could really do something with this. People would like this. I, you know, it's funny. I mean, it all died out, but I bet people would like this. So he was very encouraging. And I did end up coming back to Philadelphia with, a band, and he went out and saw it. There's a photo, famous photo of the whole band with my Uncle Sam um, at our first gig in his neighborhood. And he's even in the movie, The Jumpin' Night in the Garden of Eden, actually, uh, basically telling us what he didn't like <laughs> about our performance. Um, so then, um, eventually, so these just sat there. These sat there in his, in his grandson's playroom. And then... My Aunt Sylvia died, and that was only probably – it was right around when I was working here, honestly. It was 2007, 2008, and uh, she finally – you know, she was, not, she was much younger than him. And when she died, I called my cousin Robbie, and I said, um, you know, what about the records? And he said, I have them. Uh, I said, do you want them? He said, no, you should have them. They're, they're – you know, obviously, they changed your life. I knew nothing about them, and, you know, I never – never was interested in those records you should you should take them your great grandfather's records and you know when you know some of them were his dad's records too but most of them were really my great grandfather's because my great grandfather had been a botchen he'd been a jewish wedding entertainer and i think his way of surviving in this country where there was no need for anyone like him like a jewish vaudeville comedian a yiddish but only yiddish he hardly spoke english um, was to listen to these records. Right. And so I took them. And, but I was working at the book center at the time. And my thought was, and I didn't know how long that was going to be. That could have been a permanent thing. So I thought, oh, I'll take them to the book center. We'll transfer the records, you know, and, and make good transfers of these records. Now, I only ended up working here for two years. And my priorities were not these records. Mm -hmm. But... I'm looking over there. That's that's my great grandfather's collection right there, um, and it's everything from you know the cantorials that he cared about. I mean, it's very funny. There's somewhere in that collection. There's a, there's one Turkish record, and I I never understood like why does he have this Turkish record, um, I, and I still don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but a lot of Seymour Rexite, a lot of Barry Sisters, good Molly Pekin, some Abe Elstein with Molly Pekin, plenty of Dave Terrace. Plenty of plenty of Mickey Cats, um, you know. I I honestly I haven't, I, you know. I check on it once a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when I left the book center, which was in two thousand nine, I said to Aaron Lansky or somebody. I, we, they already had this studio. We'd already built this studio, and I said, uh, "Okay, so I'm going to take my records." And he said, "Not so fast." <laughs> I think they're a good backdrop for the uh, for the interviews. I think we'd like to have those. Um, 
And, you know, if you really need them back sometime, great. But let's leave them here for now. So I've been willing to do that. Amazing. (laughs) Well, they look great. I'm sure they sound great, and it's a really inspiring story behind them. Thank you. So, Hengus, thanks so much for sitting down with me, and uh, I hope you have a great rest rest of the festival here. Thank you so much. Yep. All right, well, I'm sitting here with David Krakauer. I'm catching him right before rehearsal, so we've just got a few minutes. Um, So I've got a bunch of questions, but I think the one that I'm really quite interested in, I know you play so many different um, styles of music. You know, I've heard you play, you know, beautiful classical music. I'm a big fan of your Abraham Inc. project. Um, So can you just talk a little bit about how you might think differently about some of those projects as far as maybe improvisation and style and what you're trying to express to the audiences and to yourself. <laughs> wow. Lot, I know there's a lot going on there. Maybe more than two minutes can give us, but... Well, that's it's kind of a hard question to answer in a way. I mean, I play the way I play and, you know, just approach music and uh, just try to make it work. Um, you know, um, I guess with Abraham Inc., which was really interesting, was bringing in Fred Wesley and his whole style of phrasing and his whole feel and how to make the klezmer feel and the funk feel work together. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, you could have had a record producer say, I'll get a hip-hop guy, a funk guy, and a klezmer guy together in a room, and it wouldn't have really worked the way Abraham Inc., I think, works very mm-hmm. well. Um you know, you get just any hip-hop guy, they might not know Klezmer as deeply as so-called does. You get um, any Klezmer guy, so to speak, and they might not be as versed in um, improvisation and jazz and, you know, and that kind of phrasing as I am. And you get a a funk person who isn't as open as Fred Wesley. Fred Wesley was just super open. Mm -hmm. And so all of those elements together made the project work. But I think it's all, you know, being in a room with somebody, feeling their feel, uh, I'm going to intuitively change what I do. Right. Just really quickly, what was sort of your introduction to Jewish and klezmer music? Um. That's a pretty um, involved question, but, you know, at first, um, I would say in the uh, late 70s, I heard Dave Tarras, first of all, heard him live, 1980. I also heard Giora Feidman live in New York, and that was very interesting for me. Then in the mid-80s, I was hearing a lot of different kinds of Balkan music, Ivo Papazov for the first time in America. I was hearing Greek and Macedonian and Albanian music, and I was very curious about that, but I wasn't really getting into Klezmer. I didn't really get into Klezmer until about 1987. But also, for example, 1979-1980, I played in an opera called, um, it was called Gimple the Fool. It was based on the Isaac Besheva Singer story by David Schiff, who teaches at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. And he wrote this incredible opera. He was sort of in that time, you know, when, when Feidman was coming and 
uh, the the sort of uh, early first Klezmer revival in the late 70s. Um, and he wrote this Yiddish opera, which was fantastic. So I played in that opera. I was still in school, still at Juilliard, getting my master's. And I was like, wow, I, I, this really resonates with me. Also, my teacher gave me some pieces that were um, arranged by his teacher. So my teacher was Leon Rushnoff, and his teacher was Simeon Bellison, who was the clarinetist of the Zimro Ensemble that came from St. Petersburg playing music by St. Petersburg composers, the St. Petersburg School that was trying to actually create a Jewish nationalist music. And they played in Carnegie Hall in 1919. And then I think they ran out of money. So basically, Bellison remained in New York, became the principal clarinetist of the New York Philharmonic till about 1946, 1920 to 1946, played in the soundtrack of the Yiddish movie Green Fields. Uh, so Bellison was really an important figure in in uh, Jewish music. And I... Um, was able to play some of these pieces that my teacher, that Leon, gave me. And it was like these little tastes along the way. And then in the late 80s, um, you know, concurrently with the opening up of the Berlin Wall and all this stuff that was going on um, and literature from Eastern Europe coming in and this opening of and the softening of, uh, you know, the Soviet Union, of Glasnost and Perestroika, and then suddenly I was like, I was part of this bigger social current and then just found myself getting into, I guess, for these subconscious forces, finding myself getting into klezmer. So that's the short answer. Right. Okay. Someday I'd love to hear the, the longer answer, but uh, I will let you get to that rehearsal. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Well, you're welcome. And, you know, I um, know that at some point I'll be part of your oral history project here. So, um, you know, we could spend a day together and really get into it. So, right. uh, yeah. Okay, great. All right. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Schmooze and for hearing from some of these amazing musicians and dancers. And I hope you get the chance to catch some of them in performance um, when they come to a city near you or if you're in a city near them or maybe next year at Yidstock. <laughs>